Welcome to the Consumed Church Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message, Comfort, part one in the series, The Blessed Life by Pastor John. For any further information about this message or the ministries of Consumed Church, you can check us out at theconsumedchurch.com. So here we are, 2023, what a great year. I I agree with that word from Matthew, and I've been saying it for a while, but I I believe that the church as a whole uh, is is headed for a reformation. You know, we talk a lot about revival. Revival's awesome. We are a revival culture type church, Uh, but I think it's bigger than a revival. It's It's a reformation. It's been 700 years since the church has had a reformation, and it's time for another one, and I believe God's doing it. It's happening already. It does. It starts with us right here, right now. So, it has been like a month since I've actually preached. I know that uh, at our annual prophetic night for New Year's, I got up and uh, led, but that's not the same as delivering a message. And so, uh, to kind of get us back on track with uh, directionally, I I feel like as the senior pastor, that's something that the Lord has called me to do is to kind of lay down tracks for us. And then as uh, all of our other leaders share it, they're, they're uh, inroads to that same track. And we'll unpack more of that uh, as we go throughout the year. But um, anyway, so I'd like to bring your attention back to uh, where we've been going. Uh, we, we've established that uh, in the life of the believer that we are actually been commissioned and set in place to continue on the ministry and mission of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, uh, the best way to understand our role and uh, how it fits in our life is to really go back and study the life of Christ. Um, The last series that I did uh, was called Recapturing the Gospel. And I spoke about that three or four times and it, it, I felt like the last time I spoke, even though I used that title, I felt like we really kind of stepped into another aspect. So I'm changing the series. This is a new series called The Blessed Life. Does anybody like the sound of that? Thank you, Noah. That looks nice. Does that look comfort? Comforting? Look good? We all like to be comforted. So just to recap, um, I started out looking at the ministry and mission of Jesus by the most obvious place. If you were going to try to discover what that is, where would be the first place you would look? First page, red letters. I'm going after red letters. So if you go to the book of Matthew, you start right there the, in um, order as far as the uh, linear order of the Bible In the red letters of Christ, he comes and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he says, repent, for heaven has collided with earth. Heaven has invaded earth. He uses the term, it's translated, uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But basically he said, heaven has come to your doorstep. Heaven is invading earth. And there's two things that he says before we get into the Beatitudes, because this series is about the Beatitudes. But there's two things he says first. He says, repent for heaven has invaded earth and come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. 
And then he begins to unpack that with the Sermon of the Mount. And he starts with a statement of blessing. This is the new life of the kingdom of God. This is what it means for the kingdom of God to have come to your doorstep. And we've gone over the fact that the gospel, the euangelion of God, is this proclamation, it's the announcement of one kingdom having conquered the other and your way of life is about to change. And so it was necessary for there to be those that go out and proclaim a herald to go into the territories and say, guess what? Your whole life's about to change. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ is that, how your life, how the whole entire world is changing. And we can embrace it, which all of you in this room have embraced it. You love the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his benefits. You love the way of life that the kingdom of God has brought to you. But there are some uh, in any kind of an empirical takeover that would begrudge the new powers coming in and would still hide out in places where their voices could be heard in secret and devise plans to rebel or kick back against the change or to try to remain in denial of the fact that everything is changing and stay in that old way of life. So it's within that framework that I want you to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and why we need this reformation, this change. Why the church needs to recapture that thought process, that reality, and with everything in us that we step into the role of the herald because we're stepping into the ministry and mission of Jesus. Amen? Okay. So the Beatitudes, he starts off with, and the last time I spoke, it was, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And every time I talk about that subject, I'm, I'm, I get a little nervous because I know that there's an expression uh, of the body of Christ that I prefer. I love to, I'm the howitzer. I love to lob the giant projectiles that make explosions, you know, and revival culture is often that way. It's very uh, bombastic and uh, dramatic in the way we see the Holy Spirit crashing in. And I love all of that. And I prefer that. That's kind of my personality makeup. Instant change. But yet, poor in spirit is this reality that I talked about the last time of just being aware that even though it has come, we don't see it fully manifested everywhere. And so there's this need to be humble. God calls us into a place of humility. And we can walk in humility because we already have the kingdom. Right? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom. There is such value and power deposited into your life via the Holy Spirit and the nature of Christ manifesting himself in you that we're actually called to be lowly like he was. So that was the last message. He goes on to the next one. That, that kind of sets the tone. Paula did such an amazing job last week. What was that statement that you said about, no, the one about you're coming from a position because you're already, how'd you say that? Yeah, because you're already accepted and significant. You can achieve anything. It was just beautiful. That's the thinking, okay? So you're already c coming from a place of sonship. 
So there is a tension in the kingdom of God. It's this upside down kingdom that until it's fully manifest in the earth, and you know how I feel about this deal that heaven has collided with earth. We're not waiting to go to heaven. We're actually embracing heaven and pulling it down here. Not to belabor that point, but sometimes we have to. That's the message, the gospel of the kingdom. And you're coming from a place of sonship and of value and even authority as God reestablishes. So in that, we're settled. But then the Lord says, blessed, makairos, if I said that right, is the Greek word for blessed. It's where we get beatitude. The, the Latin for that is beatus, which just means this state of being blessed. Many people in other kingdoms had their version of what it meant to be blessed, the big house, the big car, whatever. But your version of being blessed are these things, poor in spirit, because you already have the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. Yes, it's his, but he's given it to you. And number two, blessed are those who mourn. Yay! (laughs) And that's what we want to focus on today is blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Does anybody like comfort? That comes, that's Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So, there is an actual blessing spoken over mourning. Now, we could take this at surface value and go, I get this. What Jesus is saying is that you will be comforted. And you need to hear that. If, if you're in mourning, that there is real comfort for you in the presence of God and in the presence of the Holy Spirit. But it's bigger than just the moment when you're tore up and he comes to visit you. That is a, that is a thing, and that is an amazing thing. And it, as a matter of fact, it is the doorway. We have to have that. But even bigger is the long promise that you will be comforted. So, what does it mean to mourn? It's willing energy embracing pain. Being comforted comes with the prerequisite of being able to mourn. My youth pastor used to say this, that it's a prophet's job to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. I didn't like that when he said that very much. Like, why did, and he said it with a smile. <laughs> uh, but the prophetic, that's what it does. Most of us love being comforted, but not so much the mourning. I prefer the howitzer to the scalpel any day. How about you? But while we live in the already not yet, if you remember our eschatological series, the uh, signs of the times, we went through this whole thing where we live in this season of the already not yet. We have received the kingdom of God and Jesus has won the victory, but yet he's placed it on his church through the power of the Holy Spirit, to implement the victory of the cross in our families, in our cities, all over the earth until he returns. And when he returns, 
It's game over. There will be full consummation. Here, every right or every wrong righted. Every crooked thing removed. Every valley lifted up and every mountain brought low. That's what that means. He's going to make everything right. But in the meantime, we live in a tension, a holy agitation of exile. I could have made one of the E's exile, but it, I like this better. Holy Spirit, give me that acrostic like 8.30 this morning. <laughs> so let's look at what exile is. If, if you look in the Bible, the whole Bible is a constant story of, of exile and being delivered from it. You realize that? <laughs> Theologian in the room is just delighting in this. All right, so exile, just right out of Webster, the, the word exile means expulsion from one's native land by authoritative decree. It's the fact or state of such expulsion to live in exile. That's the tension, this holy agitation that we live in. A person banished from his or her native land. Prolonged separation from one's country or home as by force of circumstances, wartime exile. I was right out of, right out of Webster's. So when we say things like, this is not my home, I'm, not pass, I'm just passing through, often our mind triggers to, well, it doesn't matter what happens here. I don't really belong here. I belong uh, with God in heaven somewhere. And we know that absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. But the promise of Christianity is not that we're going somewhere else. It's that we are like the children of Israel living somewhat in a state of exile that is cured by the presence of God and the kingdom of God coming in your life, and yet we're out there seeing people in exile everywhere. Your home has been invaded through sin. When Adam sinned, he released sin into the earth, which had with it the power and the forces of death. That's why people die. Taken over our territory. I don't know about you guys, but that's one thing about humanity that we don't like is when somebody gets up on our space. It's just innate inside of us. Like, I'm good as long as you stay over there. Don't be coming in my house and eating my tater chips, you know. <laughs> getting in my fridge and drinking my Dr. Pepper. What are you doing? You know, a roach or a mouse, you... Ugh. So that there's this exile thing that's going on that we're living with. It's a, it's a tension because until Christ returns and everything is made right, because it will be made right, yes. we will achieve, we will receive comfort. That's a comforting thought. When you look at the, the passages in the Old Testament, much of the promises and stuff that you see from the prophets, you, you see the negative ones, but then there's the, the promise is all about the children of Israel returning from exile, losing their, their guilt and their shame from having turned their back on Yahweh and in so doing, opening themselves up to the chaos of other forces coming in and taking them over and even removing them. You know, the second temple period was when they were removed and taken away to Babylon. And when Jesus showed up, even though they were back in Israel, in Jerusalem, 
They were oppressed. Rome had come in and, and taken over and were ruling and reigning over them. In that kind of an environment, God comes in and Jesus comes in and says, heaven's invading earth. And here's what it looks like to mourn. So mourning the exile. Isaiah 61, y'all like that passage? Seems like we say it every time we get together. I bring up Isaiah 61. This is part of the willing. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 says, you can turn there. A little bit different version here. My Lord, Yahweh's breath is on me because Yahweh has anointed me. He has sent me to bring news to the lowly, to bind up the people broken in spirit, to proclaim release to captives, the opening of eyes to prisoners, to proclaim a year of Yahweh's favor, our God's day of redress, to comfort all the mourners, to provide for the people who mourn Zion, to let to give them majesty instead of ash, festive oil instead of mourning, a praise garment instead of a flickering spirit. They will be called faithful oaks, Yahweh's planting, to demonstrate majesty. So the original understanding of this verse had everything to do with the children of Israel being in exile. To those that mourn Zion, there was something about them that they mourned, like deeply grieved the fact that they had been removed from their land. And yet this promise, Jesus declares again in Luke, is that like Luke chapter 4. Yeah. When he stands up and reads this. And it was bigger than the Israelites as he stepped into this role. So that mourning has a, has a, um, has a target, has a purpose. It's to set captives free, to open prison doors, to give us beauty for ashes. In this case, the beauty for ashes was like to rebuild their city. Instead of it being burned down, it was rebuilt and beautiful. Majesty, I think this version says. Mm. There's this energy to release prisoners. See, mourning is a gift, but it's more than a coping mechanism. <laughs> it's actually an instrument through which the power of God is released. I spent a lot of my days just not wanting to go there because it's painful. It looks like a, a dark spot. And it's a gift from God. It's a, it's, it's been, there's a blessing. He said, blessed are those who mourn. You will find comfort if we mourn. How many of you know there's a competition of comforts? People do all kind of ways to deal with this. Deep inside the human spirit, we know that ain't right. 
That thing that was done to me was not right. The thing that was done to my marriage was not right. That thing that was done to my brother, my sister, my child, even my father that died early, it ain't right. We know that. There's something deep inside of us. We go to a funeral like, this shouldn't happen. How can you take something that is so alive, created in God's image, and it just end? We know that. God has put eternity into our hearts. Most of us find some other way of dealing with it. I call that the competition of comfort. People on drugs. People work too hard. Anger. Take it out on somebody else. And often we look at our neighbors or coworkers or even family members and we get so frustrated with their bad behavior. And the reality is they're probably under 3,000 pounds of trauma. And they haven't found the comfort of allowing the Holy Spirit to mourn with them. So I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling us we shouldn't be too hard to judge. You know, that was a word that came forth a couple weeks ago in our annual prophetic night. The removal. I just saw the Lord doing that to us as a people. Just removing the vacuum cleaner coming to the ceiling. Removing judgment. Even over ourselves. You don't get to judge yourself. That doesn't mean do whatever. I'm not saying that. People use that thinking as an excuse. What I'm saying is that God wants to come and he wants to comfort. And you never know the, the attitudes, the behaviors, and the stuff that people are doing, what they're actually going through. So we don't get to judge that. Sometimes we may have to stop somebody from hurting somebody else. But that's not the same as being the judge. even of ourselves. Rather than judging and making all the noise about the outward behavior, we need to go to the place where what is burning on the inside? What is not being mourned or grieved? What's not being dealt with? And often it looks, it's a prison. People walk around in prison. They're on lockdown. That's why the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to declare the day of the Lord that the Holy Spirit is upon me. For the release, yes, to proclaim good news, to release prisoners and captives, people that have had stuff done to them and people that have done stupid stuff themselves, that they're traumatized. Sometimes we go to counseling and the counselors start picking around and there could be an iron door with bars and bolts on it that you don't want to get anywhere near. I had a really rough childhood and I remember counselors getting me in there and I had no memory past like I couldn't remember anything from like I don't know if it was seven year olds seven years old back or whatever I was when I was a teenager and that was the first I wasn't even aware of it I just didn't exist and that's a that's a um, a tool that our physical body our brain you know our emotional side uses to just keep us um, on lockdown so that we can actually continue to operate in the world but man I did a lot of dumb stuff as a teenager totally acting out. Had I been judged, it would have been real bad. Probably still be sitting in a real prison somewhere. <laughs> Maybe not that bad, but it wasn't good. And when I got saved, the Lord started picking at that stuff. And I'm telling you right now that 
this word that Brad had and, and Lauren had about turning a page, it has everything to do with your life is changing. This is the year and this is the time that the Holy Spirit is there with the impact gun undoing the bolts of your iron door to set captives free. And the door is, it has mourning written right on it. We will not be able to step into the fullness of what God has until we're able to embrace the fact that all this stuff that we see, no, it's not okay. The corruption that was introduced into the world through sin, it's not okay. And the chaos and the darkness and the brokenness that it causes, no, it's not okay. It actually needs to be mourned. We don't deal with it. We could, we could just binge Netflix and watch people shoot each other all day long. And this desensitization happens. And when we become desensitized, do you realize that? We become desensitized to, the, to humanity and human life and how precious it is. People that are hardened, you know, that they just went on lockdown. We feed ourselves with things that desensitize us. And when that happens, a cynicism rises up towards the things of God. And we go, why are they so happy? What are they smiling about? The world's not really that peachy. That's part of being in that prison. So embracing Mourning is a walking out of the things that are broken by facing them honestly and condemning them for what they are. <laughs> Letting God define that that wasn't right. Not taking it upon yourself like woe is me and beating yourself, but actually separating yourself from what's been done to you or even what you may have participated in and getting it out in the front and just going, That's, this is what he means when he says repent. Even victims need to repent. When it, it means to change. It means to vomit this stuff up and put it in the middle of the room and just go, that is condemned. Not you, the thing. Whatever thing. And it's a process that we do. And embracing it's hard. Embracing pain is hard. Memories but allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you and walk you through this. He, he is the comforter. Mm. Isaiah 54, what an amazing promise. Verse 11. Oh, you afflicted one. Tossed with tempest and not comforted. Behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystal, and all your walls of precious stones. 
All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. So we have to allow the Holy Spirit to turn our prisons into palaces by processing the grief and mourning. See, the Lord is more concerned about where we dwell inwardly than where we dwell outwardly. I had a, um, a friend, he was an apprentice. I was teaching um, how to do my trade, my craft when I was working on cars. And uh, it was interesting because I don't think he allowed the Lord to do this very much, but his, he had so much anger and pain towards his father and his upbringing, towards his parents. I mean, he would say things that would make you blush about his parents. And um, I couldn't believe it because somehow or another he kind of got back in his dad's graces. And his dad was an exquisite home builder. I mean, his homes, custom homes, Colleyville, all these big fancy houses, his dad probably framed them all. And you walk into these kind of homes, and I, we have a nice home now, praise God. Um, but I remember walking into these kind of homes and going, what in the world is this? Who lives like this? Look like the Sistine Chapel, you know, domes and uh, paintings of things like Michelangelo and lights shining and just a really beautiful custom home. And uh, his father had built him a, a custom home while he was working for me. And I, I remember going and seeing it. And I was just in awe of the craftsmanship, in the love of that father. And still this friend that was so bound up with bitterness that had barely appreciated it. And we, we've always been the kind of people that God is our father. And I made way more money than him. And I had, I had a great career, great job, plenty of money to buy something like that. But we always submitted any big purchases or the direction of our life, where we live, where we go to church, uh, where we work, all that to the Lord. I wouldn't do anything without hearing his voice first. And I'd have to admit, something in me was like, Lord, you know, <laughs> you're a good dad. What's up with that? And, and I didn't say that out loud. I just think a heart attitude developed in me a little bit like, uh, hmm. And I had this dream. And back then, I wasn't as biblically literate as I am today. And I didn't realize that the dream came right out of that passage right there. But I had this dream, and the Lord said, I want to show you your house. What I'm building for you. And he took me down stairs that, that were each, they were, it was all stonework. But I went down this stairway that was made of stones. And as I looked at the stones, the stones were like they were alive with edges chiseled on them. With every chisel mark, I could tell that it was the work of an exquisite craftsman. The work of my father. And I remember as I looked up, I could see these points, these beautiful points, and I had no idea those are pinnacles. You know, some houses have gargoyles up there or whatever, but pinnacles are these uh, points that are on, say, a turret of a castle. And I was just overwhelmed with how beautiful this place is. I, I go down, and it's like I'm in the basement, and I'm walking through this massive hallway, and every stone was intricately carved like you had never seen. It was unbelievable. And I remember I'd given this testimony after I had the dream and people were like, whoa, it's in the book of Revelation. I'm like, is it? 
But Isaiah 54, I'm going to read it again. What I didn't realize was that he was talking about the work that he was doing in me. The place where I dwell. The inner place where the Holy Spirit and you have communion. And out of that, everything else flows. Oh, you afflicted one. And I had definitely been an afflicted one. Tossed with tempest, tempest and not comforted. Behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems. Hear this prophetically. This is, this is about your inner life and what God is doing in your life. And lay your foundations. You will be stable emotionally and mentally, spiritually. I'm going to lay your foundations with sapphires. I'll make your pinnacles of rubies. That's what people see from way off. It can be from miles around. And the pinnacle is what's, oh, yeah, there's so-and-so's place. Your gates of crystal and all your walls of precious stones. You have an amazing master craftsman of a father that's been working, making space for you. All of your children shall be taught by the Lord, and glory to God, that's true. And great shall be the peace of your children. So back on the subject of mourning, we can't fully enter into that without allowing him to comfort us and change our prisons, inner prisons, into the palace. Anybody want that? Yeah. And the last point is pain. Until the kingdom is fully consummated, we occupy the priestly role of mourners laying hold of his comfort. Until the kingdom is fully consummated, we occupy the priestly role of mourners laying hold of his comfort. Mourning is part of the cyclical action of the kingdom coming. And that doesn't mean that we have to be constantly like Jeremiah, the lamenting prophet. But it also doesn't mean that we get to be the howitzer all the time either. Part of carrying on the ministry and mission of Jesus is embracing that bulldozer of God's love that is the burden bearer that cleans stuff out. And that's not one that you can do, even though I use the term bulldozer. That's not one that you could be a bull in a china closet over. There is this reciprocity of comfort. So it's a design by God for us to do this, yes, personally, but also for one another. 2 Corinthians 1 One, three through four. There you go. Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, 
that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's part of the ministry of Jesus. It's part of the role of the church to comfort one another as we receive the comfort, as we deal with the pain, as we allow our prisons to be turned into palaces. It's for the purpose of doing it with one another. Sometimes people are bound up and don't know how to get out. There was a There was a moment when I went from being a howitzer to being a scalpel. My uh, Lauren's stepdad, funny irony because he wasn't a great stepdad to her. He was kind of a grumpy guy growing up. But he's one of those people that had 3,000 pounds of trauma on his life. This guy had Budweiser for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and but he, we became really good friends. And um, I enjoyed having a father as a companion. I never had that before. Me and my dad were always, till my dad's last six months. But I had not had that before. And I was closer with Larry than I was with my own father. And we had so much in common. There was so much life. This man was gifted with his hands. He was a hard worker. We had that in common. There's something about reveling in the strength and the glory of your youth, so to speak, that we shared in common, that between the two of us, if anyone in the family needed something done, we could fix it, whether it be your house or your car or whatever, and, and we did that. We went camping together. We spent our vacations together. Shortly after he retired, it took no time at all, he developed Parkinson's. I remember thinking, Lord, not again. I remember when you took, when my father, this is my opinion, you took my dad from me. There was some terrible things that happened with me and my dad. I no longer had a dad. At least that's what I felt like. I'm going, here, here we go. Repeated pattern. Larry was struggling. He went downhill pretty quick. His, uh, it affected his vocal cords and his larynx and he couldn't swallow. He just lost the ability to control this stuff in here. And my howitzer, uh, faith-filled confession of power stuff was just like, it's going to be okay. You're going to be good. And I couldn't even understand what he was saying. But every time I'd get around him, I was just, happy times are here, you know, and it's going to be okay. And he's dying this man never knew Jesus other than seeing him in me and Lauren. Never gave his life to Christ. And the Lord rebuked me and he said, you will weep with those who weep. Never heard that before. I mean, I've read it in scripture, but I've never heard the Holy Spirit speak that to me before. And I embraced the pain of going and getting in his face and just letting it hurt to all hang out. Because for me, it was a loss of my loved one and my friend, even though he was still alive. And he was trying to talk to me. He was trying to ask me, 
How do I receive Jesus? I almost missed that. I got to lead him to the Lord. I'm telling you, he was like months away from dying because he couldn't get any nutrition. And the doctors could care less, it seemed like. He met Jesus and he came to life. Again, my howitzer and my panzer tank would love to go in there and go, you're going to be healed. And we prayed for healing. And I would say we must contend for healing. But the bigger issue that happened here was I was able to hear him and weep with him to sit in that place and mourn the loss of strength, the loss of his glory as a man to be reduced to what, like 90 pounds or something with no strength whatsoever. And in that moment to meet the king of glory and open up your heavenly doors so that the Holy One of Israel could come in, and that's what he did. He received Christ. Great thing is, we didn't get to see him completely healed physically. But the Lord spoke to some nurse, and that that nurse took up his cause. The Lord God Almighty took up his cause through a nurse that said, what is going on? This guy is going to die. Why don't you give him a stomach, uh, what do they call it? A feeding tube to put nutrition right into his stomach. And the doctors were like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. It's an advocate that God caused an advocate right after we started praying and he received Christ. The light of the glory of God shined on his life. And they put in the feeding tube and he lived, what, four more years? (laughs) Now he continued to lose control of his limbs and everything else as he went down. And it was so hard for me. Every time I'd go see him, you know, it was like when I'd leave, I'd violently weep. Because it was like he died every time. And I allowed myself to go, that's not supposed to happen. That is not supposed to happen. And yet all the time we just put up with it and go, it's okay. Because we don't want to go and open that iron door and feel the pain with them. But I'm telling you, this man is with Jesus today. And we prayed that he would have uh, fruit in the land of the living. That he would know the goodness of God in the land of the living. Not just a security blanket to come sliding into heaven and say, whoo, what a ride. So people say that's what they're after, you know, but... He actually, when he got into the nursing home, was a bright spot and was telling people about Jesus. He'd never met Jesus before. He wasn't raised in church. He didn't know anything about him. He drank Budweiser for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He actually poured over his ice cream. He called them red and white sandwiches. Thank you, God, for rescuing Larry and showing him life. I know that we're going to spend eternity with Larry. He is, I drive by that cemetery in Grapevine. It's right by the lake. And I envision the day when the, when the sky is peeled back and Jesus in all of his glory comes to sit on his throne. And he crawls up out of the dirt and says, whoo, that was a long nap. And he begins to rule and reign on the earth in authority and in sonship.
and in dignity and honor. Anything less than that understanding, that vision, that's the goalpost that we're aiming for, is the kingdom of God fully manifested on the earth in the day of resurrection. No fear of judgment because we're pressing into the kingdom now. And we can go into those places with other people and weep with them. I'm so glad that I learned that lesson there. He may, if I had turned that off and been so insistent on my vibrant attitude about things, which is really can be masked as fear that's afraid to go to the ugly place. Not always that. I mean, I love being, I'm, I'm a howitzer driver, you know, I love it. But I would have missed the opportunity. We would have never known the Lord. People don't know how to meet the Lord. That's why you're here. All right, we're going to get personal for a minute. Shortest verse in the Bible is in John. It says, Jesus wept. Two words. Oh, I don't know, 20 years ago, I, I love faith, and there's, faith is a thing. But my lens was, everything was faith. Jesus wept because the people didn't have any faith. That's what I taught. <laughs> so wrong. No, he was acquainted with our grief. Yeah. Touched with our brokenness. He allowed himself to feel the grief and the pain and the sting. That's why I say that this is energy. It is the energy. It's not a coping mechanism. It's actually the energy to harness the power of God to see change. I never connected that, that it was Jesus allowing himself to mourn with Martha and them over the loss of their brother Lazarus. That as he groaned inside of himself, they were, people were saying, oh, look at him, how much he loved him. I'm telling you, Jesus full-on ugly cried in public. He wept in public so that people looked at him and said, whoa, that's unpleasant. He must have really loved him. And groaning in himself, he went to the grave. and he, You know, he already knew he was going to raise him from the dead. On purpose, he allowed himself to be touched. And it released the power for resurrection to pull him up out of the grave. <laughs> it, he declared there's a blessing on mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. Uh, Isaiah 53 is all about that. Allowed himself to be acquainted with our grief and touched with our infirmity. Talks about it in the book of Hebrews too as a faithful high priest, as we step into the role of priests, there's something about being able to connect with our humanity the way it is and go, nope, that's not right. Present it to God. All right, Matthew, can you? 
I think there's a real opportunity for everyone here who have either not been given the opportunity or haven't taken the opportunity to mourn something, mourn someone. We have, if, if it's, I'm going to open up the altar. And so Donna and Linda, would you guys come up? Maybe some elders come up. This is, this, is family, this is family time. It's like being in your living room. All of us are family here. If the Holy Spirit is touching a, a, a place in you, saying that I want to deal with this and it's okay, it's safe. And now is the time, great, come on up. We want to pray with you. We want to step into the burden-bearing role of being a Christ follower. But if it's too intense, if you're like, I'm not doing that in public, we have a freedom team here where this is exactly what we deal with in freedom ministry. It's confidential. It's private. It's just for you. Um, we fix the website so that you can click on a button and go right to it. Matthew, are you, how, tell me how you do it. Okay, so go. you can go to our website, theconsumedchurch.com. <laughs> Click on Ministries and Events, and then Freedom. And the registration page will pop up, and, and you can go in there and put in there your name and you know schedule an appointment. These guys will get back with you, and it will be a completely behind closed doors, just a time for the Holy Spirit to minister to you, begin to untangle some of those things that have been done to you some of those things that you've been carrying. But you don't have to wait if, if you're at a place where you're just ready like, Lord, that's a, that's a wound that I don't like touching because it hurts. And today's the day that come forward and these guys will pray with you. Sometimes fear prevents us fear of feeling that pain sometimes it's our circumstances we get way too busy I'll deal with that later I'll deal with that later sometimes it's our belief system we're all about being the howitzer (laughs) it's prevented us from mourning something be the loss of innocence. Maybe your childhood was cut short. Because circumstances happened and you were forced to go to work earlier. You were forced to take care of your brother or your sister when you were just a kid yourself. You had your childhood stolen from you. Something to mourn. Maybe you had a loved one that was taken and like I said earlier, it's just not right. Eternity is in our hearts. We're not supposed to die. Maybe you had someone that you love. You put your heart out there and it didn't work out. Your ability to actually fall in love has been damaged because someone loved you and crushed your trust. 
marriage that went wrong. These things need to be mourned. It could be your mobility. It's been a disease or an accident, an injury that's affected your, your limbs. That's not supposed to happen. We need to be able to mourn the loss of mobility or strength. Something has descended upon you. You feel like you have no strength. It's taken from you. Maybe your livelihood. You spent your whole life in a career dedicated to something that you've learned how to do. You were good at it. And then the world changed. And that sector or that particular role that you filled doesn't exist anymore. It impacted your wallet. It impacted your ability to have dignity in the world. That's something to mourn. It's not supposed to happen. So I just want to bless you right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that he is comfort. I know that this is a heavy, somewhat of a heavy message, but we actually can, should, and must allow ourselves to mourn so that we can see the brightness of the day that's coming without cynicism, without judgment, God wants us to be free as a conduit of the kingdom of God to course through our lives. If you haven't gotten anything, you're like, man, I'm good. There's nothing for me to mourn. God's been so good to me. Then maybe it's time to just accept and embrace in the Lord the charge to weep with those who weep. Father, we love you. <laughs> oh, Lord, we love you. Thank you, God, for opening prison doors. Thank you, Lord, that you just don't let us out so that we can walk the streets to get lost. Lord, you've actually prepared a place for us in your presence that looks like precious stones so that all the way from the basement to the rooftop, God, we know and the rest of the world knows that we have a good Father that has been working tirelessly on our behalf to bless us and to bring the kingdom of God, to bring life and righteousness and goodness to everyone and everything we know. So Lord, we step in. Why don't we all stand up? We step in, God, to the kingdom of God. We step under the blessing that you've declared over us, God. We will live the blessed life. Free from torment. Free from bondage, from depression, from substance abuse, from anger, jealousy. Lord, all the stuff that puts us in chains. Lord, we thank you that, Holy Spirit, you walk us out. 
Lord, I just speak a blessing over these guys that the, the nearness of God would be their good. Lord, as you come and you minister, Lord, maybe even right now, it's, it's too sensitive an issue to even touch with a 10-foot pole. But I thank you, God, that you're bringing each and every one of them out of that place and delivering them into the home that you've created for them. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Consumed Church weekly podcast. This entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels. If you would like to partner with us in raising the next generation of kingdom bringers, you can do so at theconsumedchurch.com slash give.